morning, uh, real excited. We have a unique Sunday uh, this morning. As many of you know, we have a partnership uh, with a school uh, called the Hispaniola Institute of Theology. Uh, and that is a school that trains Haitian and Dominican pastors and church leaders uh, in the Dominican Republic. And so many of you have traveled uh, to be a part of that. And we actually had a team travel down there uh, a couple of weeks ago now um, that I was a part of uh, as well. So I'm going to invite, if, if you guys would come forward, who are, if you are on that team, uh, come on forward. And I'm going to have them uh, share just a bit of how that trip went um, and uh, we'll have future trips in the future. So why don't we roll this video behind me while they're making their way up and then we'll hear from them. Why don't you guys come on up, come forward. Uh, I've asked uh, Peter and Mark if they would just take a few moments and share about uh, the trip and what our experience was. Me. Hello, everybody. My name is Peter, and uh, the reason I'm up here is because I went on that trip. Uh, you know, I think that in America, or just in our culture in general, we want to have... Uh, Instant results. We want to have, we want to see something and then we want to have an instant result. Like buy this tea and you'll sleep 12 hours a night and you'll make $100,000 while you sleep. And I don't know that from personal experience, but just don't click that link if you see that ad. But what I loved about, what I loved about what HIT, as they call it on the streets down there, uh, does is that it's a long game. And ministry is often a long game. It's a solid obedience or a, a long obedience in the same direction as Eugene Peterson puts it. And we met uh, people, we did a lot of ministry on the streets with these pastors that are working there. And, you know, there was this one woman and she said that she didn't go to church because her parents gave her a demon when she was four years old. And uh, she can't walk into it. And that's not really an excuse that you hear in our culture. But the cool thing about what HIT does is that they have these pastors there that are making sure that the soil is good soil. That even though we were just there for four days and we were planting these seeds and we were sharing the gospel with them, it's what Noah's doing and what these other pastors are doing that they're making sure that these people, once uh, they hear the gospel and they decide that they want to commit their life to Christ, uh, that, that they have a solid church, that they have a solid foundation, that they're in good soil. And so um, it's just an incredible opportunity to be able to be there for that short amount of time, but also to know that the Lord is doing a great work there and uh, making 
his name known through his people. Everyone that we talk to, not everyone, but a lot of people that we talk to in these communities, they wanted to know of what we were talking about. And they, we sat down with them for 30, 30 minutes or so and shared with them, you know, what we believed and we answered their, their questions. And they, they knew that if they were to follow Christ, if they were going to take the next step, that it was a serious commitment. And, uh, and I'm just thankful that I was able to go on this trip and just see what the Lord is doing there. Good morning, church. My name is Mark. Um, and I was privileged to go on the trip as well. Um, and honestly, um, Alan, Noah, Abby, uh, Peter, and Andrew, who's not here today, um, probably the single greatest uh, gift that I received was getting to know those men better. Being in a cross-cultural context um, on mission um, with other brothers in Christ um, is a stretching experience. Um, different foods, different language, different, uh, it's just, you, you very clearly are not home, um, which is a reminder that we are not home, that we're just passing through here. But um, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, we did some lessons on evangelism, and I, I, I learned some things and I talked to Jesus about people who I know who need to be closer to Jesus that I can influence. And then we went out and, and did it, people that I didn't know, but I got stretched a little bit in talking with strangers, um, you know, maybe people who, who had some demonic activity going on, and just talking about the gospel, the fresh richness of the simplicity of the gospel in a different context. And what I, what I told my family when I got home, because we saw some hard things, some significant poverty and um, but where where there's in in that poverty where there's Jesus there's hope and in that poverty where Jesus is rejected it is crushing hopelessness the difference there of course being Jesus so I appreciate I appreciate what what Noah is doing um, I would like to encourage my church family in, in the work that we're doing supporting HIT. Um, if you have the opportunity to go, um, short-term missions always benefits those who go, I think, more than the people who um, receive, receive us. And that certainly was true, were true for me. And I, it, was, it was a privilege to be able to go. Thanks, Mark. Uh, so Noah, why don't you come on up? Avi, why don't you come on up as well? Um, so we're... Uh, I'm excited today. Noah Joyner, he is the president and founder of the Hispaniola Institute of Theology. He's preached here before, um, and so he's going to be teaching God's Word uh, with us uh, this morning, and um, you can obviously share more about what HIT does if you'd like to do that, uh, but we're going to have a unique morning, and so instead of uh, Noah just preaching a sermon like you would normally be used to here on a Sunday morning, uh, what we're going to do is Noah's going to teach a workshop. And so uh, what the Hispaniola Institute of Theology does, as I said, trains uh, church leaders and pastors. And as we begin the curriculum they go into, it's a five-year curriculum, mm -hmm. um, we start with gospel foundations. 
And so we get real clear on what we believe about who Jesus is, what the Bible is, and, and what we believe the Bible teaches us from the very beginning. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have one of those classes out of Luke 24 today. All right? So we're going to need everyone uh, to get their Bibles out. We're going to need everyone to be willing to maybe participate. All right? So it's okay. Um, it's going to be good. We're a family here. Uh, as Noah teaches uh, for us this morning. But I wanted Abby. Um, Abby came on the trip as well, but Abby and his wife Rachel lead our global mission committee. So they interact with all of the global missionaries that we support. And so I wanted uh, Abby to pray over Noah uh, before he teaches. Thank you, Thank you Alan. So um, Rachel and I, and uh, Peter and Mel. Mel is not here, I think. Oh, there she is, sorry. Out on the missions committee. So thank you so much. Can we pray for you, Noah? Absolutely, please. Awesome. Um, dear Father, what a blessing to see what you're doing down in DR. And what a privilege for Grace Hill to support this ministry, oh Lord. Uh, we are just so grateful to you for what you're doing. Um, Lord, I thank you for Noah, what a servant leader he is down there. And I pray for his staff and his faculty that uh, serve you and teach you. We ask that you would have your hand over them, that you would lead them by your spirit, that many would come to know you through this ministry, O oh Lord. Oh Lord, what a blessing it is to partner with this ministry. Um, Lord, I pray as Noah teaches this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would be open to your voice. Uh, speak to us, O oh Lord. We love you. Amen. Thank you so much. Good morning. Uh, it's great to see so many friendly and familiar faces. Thanks for having me again. That's such a gift to me. Uh, as we get started, just a little bit about me. I'm married to the most interesting woman in the world. Uh, if you've not had a chance to meet her, uh, you should pray that you do. She is fan-fantastic. Uh, we have five children. Uh, our oldest is 17, our youngest is nine. We have three teenage boys in the house right now, so I'm learning lots of new things about parenting. If you haven't experienced that yet, it's really fun. Uh, look forward to it. So, um, Shep, my middle child, youngest boy, uh, he's traveling with me this week, uh, and Shepard turned 14 uh, last week. And if you know any of Shepard's story, the fact that he's alive and is healthy and uh, the fact that we got to go see a baseball game yesterday is God's grace. God is so good. He is so good. Okay. Uh, we're going to get rolling. Uh, one thing that we do with the Hispaniola Institute of Theology is we don't only train church leaders and church pastors, but also church members. And so what we're doing is we're trying to train at the top kind of, you know, leaders here that are, you know, influencing people in their sphere, but also kind of ground up from the trenches, kind of grassroots, so that church members know what should be happening in their churches, and church leaders know how to lead in those churches. We have about 150 students. Half of those are women, uh, and, and, and for women in, in a cross-cultural context like that, especially Haitian women, um, heavily marginalized in their communities, uh, to be learning the Bible, opening the Bible, able to teach the Bible is a really, really big deal. So we're really proud of that. And so one of the ways that we get the work done is we have teaching context where there's a lot of interaction that goes on. And so uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. It's going to be very interactive. I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions, and I expect you to answer and respond. And so uh, we're all going to be working here together. If you can hear me in the back, raise your hand. Okay, so you guys can hear me. All right, so uh, we're all gonna uh, we're all gonna work together on this. This is really weird. If this was a boat, we would be sinking, 
right? On this side over here, I don't know. I don't know why that happens, um, but it looks like this is the better, the better section. So um, this is the better section? Okay. You don't know why they do it. Okay. You can take a survey and figure that out. So let's get rolling. We are going to be in Luke chapter 24, one of my very favorite chapters of scripture. Um, and, and what I want to begin with this morning is to be, begin by asking you if you could do a Bible study uh, with any person uh, that you could choose, who would it be? Who would be that person? Uh, living or alive? Who said Jesus? That's a, that's a really good Sunday school answer. That is really good. And, and really just to kind of like let the cat out of the bag a little bit, that's, that really is where we're going. We're going to get to see and answer the question, when Jesus reads the Bible, what does he do with it? If you were to study the Bible with Jesus, what would that be like? And so um, we're, we're going to use the whiteboard to do some of that this morning. We're going to trot through this uh, passage, and we will actually be in Luke chapter 24 uh, to, to look in this morning. We're starting in verse 13. Um, and so what I'd like to do is, uh, this is kind of weird. If anyone would be willing to stand up and read for us um, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to take short pieces. So uh, if we could start in chapter 24, starting in verse 13, and read down to 16. Would somebody be willing to do that for us? Maybe the gentleman who had the uh, Sunday school answer for us would be good. Okay, so, so this is really great. We start out, it tells us a lot about what's going on. We get a good look at when is it. So it tells us that very day, but what day is it? And if you look above, you'll notice in the chapter, it tells us this is the resurrection day. This is resurrection Sunday, right? Jesus has been raised from the dead, right? Uh, the tomb is empty, as we sang before. The, the grave has been robbed, yet they don't know that God did this, and they're pretty perplexed about it. And so what we find are a couple of people on a road. So where, where are they going? Emmaus, right? I'm hoping this is not a permanent marker. All right, so they're going to Emmaus. Where are they leaving from? They're leaving from Jerusalem. That's exactly right. So they're kind of going this direction. Now, uh, do we, does the passage tell us who's there? There's two people. Does it say men? It says, it says two of them. Some translations might say disciples. So we know there's two going from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, is anybody else there? Okay, so there's Jesus, right? But they don't know it's Jesus, right? All right, so we've got a third person on this road going towards Emmaus, from Jerusalem. Now, we don't know who this person is. Now, the real question is, do we know who these people are? And as we go through the passage, I want you to be curious enough to be looking for who might these people be. Does anything else stand out in the passage as interesting to you? Yeah, they're having a discussion. That is so interesting that Luke would, would let us in on that, like that these two people are having a discussion walking down the road together. The Bible's fantastic. It is a book about real people at real time in real places doing real human stuff. 
That's really cool. And we get to see that here from the author. Now let's look at the next verse. If someone will read for us uh, verses 17 and 18 together. Would someone do that for us? You can stand up and read aloud for us. Verse 17 and 18. Thanks, Monty. All right, so we get some more information. We're seeing that one of them is a guy named Cleopas. And here's the question, who in the world is that? Now, my question for you is, do we see Cleopas anywhere else in the Bible? And we do. If you look over with me in John chapter 19, in verse 25, you'll see this. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And so that person, Clopas, here is most likely Cleopas. So a lady named Mary, standing at the cross when Jesus is crucified, is the wife of Cleopas or Clopas. All right, so it's very, very, very possible that these two people on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem, one of them was standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified on Friday, just a couple of days from seeing her Lord that she had been following, walking with and living with, probably among that group of disciples that had been traveling with Jesus, she saw him crucified. That is traumatic. Trauma upon trauma. And so what we see is this, this, this woman, most likely, and her husband leaving Jerusalem, going presumably back home. They're on the way back home. They've been following Jesus and their hopes have been dashed. How do you think they're feeling right now? If you use your your spirit-filled imagination and the text together, how do they feel? Hopeless. Hopeless, absolutely. Sad, destroyed, like just emptied out, right? And now they don't even know where the body of Jesus is. They can't find him. Can you imagine this? Someone you love? You know, imagine, you know, one of your church leaders, like something like this happening to them, right? Not even the one that you've put all your hope in, but just one you love, right? Imagine how you would feel. And so they're leaving Emmaus, understandably, quite broken, very sad. And it's interesting Jesus says, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? If you'll notice, if you you study Jesus well, you'll notice he enters into conversations with questions. Often, just asking questions. It's not like he doesn't know what happened. He wants to ask them what they think about what happened. And, And that's what he's after. And so we see Jesus begin to ask them questions. And they stand there and they look sad, right? Luke doesn't have to add that, but he does. He wants us to know as the reader that these are sad people. They're broken. So Cleopas responds to Jesus, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Everybody knows what happened. Who are you to not know what happened? 
So I love that Jesus is kind of faking them out here a little bit. Uh, Jesus does this in a number of places uh, in the Bible where he kind of like, you know, he's walking on the water and he's like, oh, I'm gonna walk past these guys. And they're like, oh, we're gonna die, right? It's, it's interesting the way that Jesus interacts with people. He has his own way of interacting with them. And I think we see that here. Will someone read for us the next little section here? Cleopas is going to respond with what has been happening in Jerusalem. And if someone will read verse 19 through verse 24 for us, I'd appreciate that. So we learn a couple of things here. Uh, we learn what their view of Jesus is. What did they think Jesus was going to do? He's going to redeem Israel. He's going to buy them out of the oppression and enslavement. You know, it's the language of buying out, buying back. Uh, that's, that's what they thought Jesus was coming to do, to buy them back to God, to bring them out, to free them from the oppression that they were a part of. Right? So we see how are they thinking about Jesus we also see that they're surprised by the fact that he both was crucified and was raised again. So there's some disclarity that they have about who Jesus is. There's some things that they've kind of missed along the way, even though Jesus said it over and over again. I'm going to be crucified and I will be raised. They've, they've been missing that part of the story. What else do we see? Anything stand out to you as interesting? It happened just as he said, that the rulers and the priests and the, the chief priest scribes, uh, together with the elders and the rulers, they're the one who did the crucifying, and that's what he told them would happen. Their hope has been taken away. We get a sense of their emotional state here. They're confused, not sure, broken, disheartened. I love that Jesus just listens, right? He doesn't jump in and be like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, was there for all that, right? No, he just listens. He lets, he lets, lets them talk, lets them explain what happened. Let's keep moving forward to here a little bit. Someone read verses 25 to 27, please, for us. So 
So Jesus changes gears a little bit, right? So he goes from a listening ear, kind of hearing how they're feeling, right, to, hey, y'all are kind of being a little foolish here. Uh, and that word for him, foolish, is very much connected to like not hearing, not seeing, forgetful, right? Kind of resistant to hearing and knowing. And he does something for them. Look at what he does. He reminds them of the necessity of the Christ suffering that he might enter into his glory. And then he does a Bible study with them. And it, and it explains it this way. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So let me ask you, how long does it take to walk seven miles? Yes, depending on the terrain. Uh, and so they're coming down from Jerusalem. Kind of Jerusalem's on a hill. They're kind of coming down from Jerusalem. Uh, it's probably not like a sidewalk. So somewhere around two and a half hours, right? Especially if they're sad, they're talking. You walk a little bit slower when you're, uh, when you're talking. So about two and a half hours, right? So for two and a half hours, Jesus goes through the Old Testament, pointing out himself page by page, section by section, prophet by prophet. This is incredible, reminding them and showing them and pointing out to them, no, no, it was necessary that I would suffer and die. It was necessary that the Christ would be raised again. So what I want you to see here is this. When Jesus reads the Bible, he is looking for himself. Almost always, when Jesus quotes the Old Testament, he is doing it in reference to himself. Almost always. You look at a book like the book of Hebrews. The whole book is about a study through the Old Testament and how Jesus is greater, that he is the fulfillment of the, the, those things, that he is the substance that those things were a shadow in reference to. The Bible is a book about the Son, the coming Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. That's what the Bible is about. And what I want you to understand this morning is that when you open the pages of Scripture, on every single page, something is happening. God himself is being revealed or uncovered. That's actually what the word revelation means, is to uncover and to reveal. And so this morning, we have this little table here with us, and it's covered. You can't see it. You don't really know what's under this covering. And the Bible is very much like this. It begins with the character of God revealing himself first in creation. Creation is primarily about God. It's telling us who God is. And so from the very first pages of the Bible, God is uncovering himself little bit by little bit. There's a, a divine undressing going on in the Bible. He wants to show himself to us because without the Bible, without the word, we won't know who he is and what he looks like. And so page by page and section by section throughout the Old Testament, it's like a table is being uncovered slowly and slowly and slowly. Imagine not a small round table with a clunky base, but a beautiful table inlaid and carved, perfect detail, right, covered by a cloth but slowly being revealed and revealed and shown more and more, who is it that is covered? Who is being revealed to us? 
And that's what the Bible is doing page by page. But by the time we get to the Old Testament, we still have some questions. And then someone shows up on the scene, and this is what happens. That a complete and total uncovering of the table is given to us in Christ so that we can see who God is. Jesus said that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. He reveals the Father to us. He is God, fully and totally and completely. If you want to know what humanity is, you look at Jesus. Because he reveals to us what is it that the image of God should be in us, pointing and revealing who God is. He reveals all of that. Jesus is the revelation of God, fully and completely. And so when we read the Bible, that's what we're wanting to do, is to read it like Jesus reads the Bible, looking for himself, page by page and section by section. So can you imagine what this Bible study is like? Two and a half hours of Jesus like laying it down. Can you imagine the heights of where he takes them, the passages that he's showing the, the nuances of and showing the connections yeah, the serpent in the wilderness, yeah, that's me, right? The rock in the desert, that's me. The temple, yep, that's me. Over and over and over and over, showing himself throughout the scriptures. And so that's what we see on display here. That's what we see them interacting with. Can you imagine their emotion as that's happening? What's that doing in them, that two and a half hours of the scriptures being open to them? What's changing inside of them? How is hope being rekindled in them as they walk along? Somebody read verse 28 to 31 for us, if you would. I did youth ministry for a long time, so I can wait. To 31. Thank you. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Alright, so they're getting close to they're getting close to the house over here, right? Getting close to town. And so what happens? It's dark, night's coming. And Jesus is like, Oh, I'm gonna go into my house, I'm gonna keep on walking. I love Jesus, he is so funny. He's like, he acted like he was gonna keep on walking, he's just like, I'm gonna keep going. And they're like, no, come inside, come with us. Like, why do they want him to come inside so bad? This guy knows his Bible, right? He is the teacher of all teachers. Like, it's going down, and they don't want it to stop. And they're like, come on inside. So they go inside. And of course, they're going to do some eating when they get inside. It's late in the day. And can you imagine this moment where Jesus, right, who's ate with these people in the past, they've seen him, you know, multiply the food and do all the things and the miracles and the stuff, and they they know how Jesus eats, right? And can you imagine that moment where he 
breaks the bread. And they go, <gasps> and he disappears. I mean, can you imagine the, the, the emotional experience of that, of your hope like, oh, that's why this guy is so good at teaching us the Bible. That's why he knows what he's talking about. This is Jesus. He, he's not gone. He's not disappeared. He's here. And that hope is fulfilled in them, that anticipation, that excitement. And then he vanishes. Can you imagine the way that feels? So what do they do next? Let's look at the next couple of verses. Someone read verse 32 all the way to 35, if you would. So Jesus vanishes, right? And then what do they do? How do they respond? Yeah. Yeah, there's this like excitement like wells up in them. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us while we were on the way with him? Like we get this insight into how they were feeling, like what it was like. Their heart was burning within them. And the only response, there's only one response. Like, you don't stay in Emmaus. No, 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 there's work to do. They get up immediately, right? This guy disappeared, right? These two are gonna go back this direction, right? So it probably took them, what, two and a half hours walking this way? How long do you think it took them to get back? Probably a little faster, right? They're moving, right? A little, little, little speed in their step, right? Because they have something to tell. They have something to talk about. And this is what the word of God does in us. And if you will go to the word every day, looking for the Lord Jesus, you will find him. And he will cause your heart to burn within you. And you will have to talk about it. And if you're not wanting to talk about it these days, everybody has those seasons, totally get it. I've been teaching the Bible a long time, right? There are moments where you don't wanna talk about it. But usually that's connected to not looking for Jesus in the Bible. My friend George Robinson, he says, many times we use the Bible like a yearbook. So imagine uh, if you, you know, your, your high school yearbook is sitting right here on the table. What is the first thing you would do if you picked it up? You'd go find yourself. You'd be like, what did I look like? What kind of bozo was I in high school, right? You go looking for yourself, but the Bible is not about you primarily. It's about Jesus, and you can find your way in reference to him if you will pick it up and look for him first. He'll help you find your way. Right? He'll get you back to where you need to be, but you look for him first, and that's exactly what we see happening with these disciples. So where do they go when they run back? They go to Jerusalem, and they go to, evidently there's a house, Right? I'm not great drawing, but that's a house. And who's there? The disciples are there. The 11, right? Because one got missing, right? So the 11's there, and they're gathered together. And these two disciples 
followers of Jesus, they come back to tell them exactly what happened. And this is pretty cool. Because if you keep reading the story, Jesus shows up at the house. In the next little section, Jesus shows up. I don't know how much time, time do we have left. Do we have time to read that section? It's 11.09. So Jesus shows up at that house and then does the same Bible study again with all of them. Incredible. Same Bible study. Because he wants them to know how do you read the scriptures. He wants them to know who he is. And he's preparing them to go out into all the world and to tell the nations about who he is. And so I would challenge you, uh, read the rest of this section when you uh, get home, maybe this afternoon. If what I am saying to you is like, man, that's interesting. I want to know more about that. Um, I want to I point you towards something. There's a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, it's a book for kids. Uh, but it's actually one of the best resources that I know of uh, that you can read for finding Jesus in the Old Testament. It is an incredible commentary on the Old Testament. Uh, and I would encourage you to read that just to train yourself in looking for Jesus. If this is interesting to you, uh, I want to encourage you, read the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a good training ground uh, for looking into how do I see Jesus in the Old Testament? What, what places does he show up? Because the writer of Hebrews seems to be very content to do that for us. If this is interesting to you, let me encourage you. Make time. This takes time. It took them two and a half hours. All right? It doesn't always take that much time, but it takes a little time. So set aside some time to go looking for Jesus in your Bible. And I promise you, if you look for him and you pray, much like what happened here, it says in verses 44 and 45, Jesus says this, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then Luke says this, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. This is what we need. He has to open our minds to understand the scriptures. And if you want that and you ask him for that, he will give you that. And so that's my prayer for Grace Hill Church. Um, that you would be a people happy to find Jesus in the scriptures with a mind wide open by the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit to find him, see him, worship him, and follow him. And so let's pray that God would accomplish that in us this morning. Father, we do pray that you would accomplish that in us this morning. Uh, our minds get bombarded these days. And Lord, we ask that you would make our minds open to what you want to say about yourself in the scriptures, that you may not be hidden from us, but we may see you clearly. We ask that uh, the excitement that these two, uh, that Clopas and Mary experienced on the road, that that would be our experience when we interact with you and your word, that our hearts would burn within us and that we would arise immediately to go tell of the good news of the Christ that has been raised for us. That's our hope. And so just as you restored the hope of these two, Lord, restore our hope this morning. We ask and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.